phoenixes are rising Look into the eyes and the hearts of lions Minds like diamonds, souls are igniting Illuminating the night and when you awaken Can't be frightened, world's out of whack But we got your back, you're a part of the pack Now let those wings flap Welcome fellow phoenixes to the Spiritual Phoenix Podcast, where we make a daily offering to the divine by putting our past on the pyre, turning the ashes into art, adapting addiction into connection, and metamorphosizing mental illness into mental wellness. My name is Ross Cessna, and I wish to inspire the authentic expression of your soul in any avenue that elevates the consciousness of others. We are the artists of our lives, and today is a blank canvas. Let's collectively create a better tomorrow for ourselves and others. I'd like to set the intention for today's episode, which is just going to be talking about my recovery in general um, from mental illness and drug and alcohol addiction, or addiction in general, because it's my understanding that addiction is all relative, and for me, I was addicted to lots of things outside of drugs and alcohol, and those were all negative as well. Um, I mentioned in previous, in previous episodes that my addiction issues started... Uh, at a very early age, really as soon as I started using drugs and alcohol, it became apparent that I couldn't use them like regular people because just the way that they made me react was different than other people. And although I enjoyed them and used them for a long time, it was a continuing spiral of uh, downward drama, basically. Um, I mean, my first experience with alcohol, uh, where I drank heavily around friends. I got blackout drunk and slept outside of the department store in winter underneath a mattress covered in broken glass and mud. Uh, I don't think that that's an average experience for most people. And then that really set the bar for how I would drink. Most of my drinking career, I blacked out likely more times than I didn't when I was drinking. Um, as far as weed goes, I got arrested very early on with weed and I continued to do so. And I really blamed the system more so than the positions I put myself in with marijuana, which was different than a lot of people. And I'm not saying that weed's necessarily good or bad or alcohol is good or bad. They are for me personally. How they affect you can be completely different. I've had good experiences with weed, and I think that weed helped me get to where I was. But I also believe that weed created some of my problems. Or because of my composition and my perception, weed created some of my problems. I can't blame a plant for my problems. And it's my relationship in my physical body chemistry and my perception and responses when I'm on it. Um, psychedelics were another thing. Psychedelics, I think, really opened my consciousness up. Let me, let me go back to weed real quick, too. Weed, after I started smoking weed, it's really the first time that I, I felt uh, conscious and really aware in my body. Prior to that, I felt like I was just reactionary. Um, and I still was really reactionary on weed, don't get me wrong, but I don't feel that I had any insight. Like when I started smoking weed, I felt that it took me away from this uh, scared little creature running running around and responding. I actually began to think. And that might just be around the age that I started to use it to where those thoughts pop up. I'm not really certain. That's just how I recall it too. I could be completely wrong. Uh, as far as psychedelics, I feel that psychedelics further that. My first experience with psychedelics was uh, with dextromorphodin and Robitussin. Back in the day, kids would robotrip. I don't know if they still do it. I, I hope not because it's horrible for you, supposedly, and it can cause uh, disassociation and as well as um, something called Onley's lesions, which is like brain damage, essentially. I'm not really familiar with it. I remember back in the day looking in 
all sorts of drugs up on arrowid.com. I assume it's still around. I, I don't really know. Um, after DXM, I really experimented with uh, LSD, I think, was the next one. And again, I, I had some good experiences on LSD. I had some transcendental experiences on LSD. I had some transcendental experiences on DXM. Don't get me wrong. The, the issue with those substances, for me personally, um, is just how I related to them. And the fact that I was already anxious, had a lot of anxiety and fear, it was kind of magnified by those substances a lot. And like I said, I, I had good trips. I had a lot of terrifying experiences on them as well. After uh, LSD, I believe that I tried ecstasy next. Ecstasy was never really that good for me. Uh, I was already naturally hyper, naturally up, naturally speedy. So amphetamine molecules bonded with the synthetic mescaline mo molecule is not really my uh, speed. But um, also, I, that was when people were taking rolls and stuff like that, I... I I know that people take MDMA now, but I know that rolls were usually cut or so it was said back in, in my day, and you could get quote-unquote uppity ones or smackity ones, which would either have uh, meth or heroin in them. I don't know how true that is. I'm just re recalling my experiences, but I had instances with both. After that, I tried uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Mushrooms were probably my favorite psychedelic by far. They were very natural, I felt, and I really believe that there is wisdom to be gained from them. However, I was really uh, dipping in Pandora's box a little too much, and I think that it really disconnected me from reality in lots of ways. And like I said, I had a lot of good experiences on psychedelics. I gained a lot of insight on psychedelics. I'm not knocking the use of psychedelics, but for me personally, after experiencing psychosis, I can no longer do those things. Because after experiencing the most powerful psychedelic, which was endogenous in my own body, I don't see the benefit of reaching outside of me to, to uh, experience those situations. I've actually had more transcendental and psychedelic experiences in my two, two months and a, a week of sobriety than I, I ever really had on psychedelics as well, which is pretty interesting and some people just say I'm burnt out and I don't know I'm not going to deny that I am at some capacities maybe I'm just switched on is a better way to put it and for me it's really kind of like an oil painting or an etch-a-sketch where you can develop this really fine picture but the more you you monkey around with it or, or turn the knobs or mess with the paint on it the more it's going to distort the image and with where I'm at right now with everything I don't feel that I need to take any more drugs. I don't want to take any more drugs. Um, and some people will say that natural substances aren't drugs. I disagree. There's drugs in your own body. Technically, we are drugs. I mean, so that's neither here nor there. Uh, but anyhow, I've had good experiences with drugs. I've had bad experiences with drugs. I've had experiences that weren't really anything beyond experiences. And let me rewind. I've had experiences <laughs> on drugs, some that I perceived as bad, some that I perceived as negative, but as uh, Matt Oakley from the Grailian Report said, some of the, the worst trips really had the most insight in them, and I think that that's true, and that was also relative to my psychosis and my mental illness as well. Some of the experiences that I thought were the worst, when I really look back on them, they actually became the most beneficial because they taught me things about myself. And I think that that's one thing that I really struggled with for a long time was finding the positive and the negative. And the other thing is sometimes there's a lot of negative and positive things. 
So when you really start to balance those things out and look at things from a different perspective, it really switches reality around for you. And for me personally, I started my road to recovery in mental health, um, in mental health thing, taking care of my mental health issues first. At the time, I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar. The doctor I was seeing that at that time actually said that it was drug-induced psychosis, but I wouldn't have it because everybody else had said that I was bipolar. So it was really like, no, I have to be bipolar, which is humorous to me considering I was always anti-label. And so now I'm clinging to this label, or I was clinging to it, I should say. And the further I move away from it, the more I realize that really it's more likely my diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and also the way that my perspective w was shifted and the fact that I was always stoned or drunk and never really able to process situations and move past them. I've encountered some similar situations that had messed me up for a substantially longer amount of time and because I've had a clear head, I've been able to really move through them. So I really used drugs and alcohol um, pretty heavily from the age of 12 up into, I'm 32 years old now, I'll be 33 in February, so over over half my life really, and although those experiences can start out fun and beneficial, the reality of it, in my experience personally, is that it really starts to go downhill, and there was a gentleman, I forget this gentleman's name, he was like an Indian guru or something, and he basically said that you start out using marijuana, and it's it's fun, it's happy, and then you eventually start using it for every emotion, which is what I was doing. It was really like an all-day thing. I mean, I would smoke more weed than some people would smoke cigarettes in a day, which really isn't, it defeats the purpose of it, I guess. If you use it medicinally and um, sacramentally, I think that that can be very beneficial. Or if, like, if you don't just sit there and chief bowls all day, like, like I would. And I, I can't go back to that. I've proven to myself that how I relate to drugs and alcohol is I want all the drugs. I, I don't want to just smoke a little bit of weed. I want to smoke all the weed. I don't want just want to drink a beer. I want to drink the beer, like, to get drunk. And I used to think, what? well, that's the point, isn't it? And I really don't think the point of smoking weed is to get as high as you can get. And I don't think the point of drinking is to get as drunk as you can get. And although I can realize that's not the point, I really feel that I have an allergy. And I feel that those, those substances are part of my struggle and sacrifice that I have to make to be able to do what I want to do, which is help people who have been in similar situations realize there's alternative options and that they don't have to continue down the path they're on, or if they're getting out of the psych ward, they don't have to feel isolated, they don't have to feel stigmatized, and they can recover. And I'm not going to say that it isn't a lot of work. I had to do an incredible amount of internal work first off. I've had to really look at myself, and I, I should also say this. I don't feel that my recovery is solely on me. Granted, I've had to do a lot of things about it, but I've been positioned in, in a very um, lucky space, I would say. Because first off, I feel that I got lucky with not falling completely into the abyss of psychosis to the point of no return. I thought that I would always be there. And I can't say that people will or won't be, but I think 
I, I think that I had some divine intervention really guiding me out of it. The next thing that I'll say is um, I have the assistance of my mother. And a lot of people are going to look down on me for this. My mom's helped me out a shit ton. And I, I am so grateful for that. And I feel that had I not had the time when I moved back from California after being psychotic and then the uh, psychosis the next year in uh, 2013, from 2013 to 2014, on and off, um, and then having time to regroup my head, um, overcome the depression, overcome the social anxiety, and have a roof over my head and food in my belly and clothes on my back, like having a loving household was was crucial. Loving household was crucial for me, and that really having Maslow's hierarchy of of needs met. I really feel that that allowed me to focus on my insight and on my philosophy and really digest and process those experiences. And I don't think that that is a typical experience. I wish that there was more opportunities for people to have that kind of room to grow in a loving, supportive environment. And that's potentially really what I'd like to achieve with if I ever get some money or find a way to organize people to creatively manifest things to uh, raise funds for such programs. That's the other thing that's been fundamental in my recovery as well, was my desire to be creative. Um, I've done hip-hop since I was about 18 or 19. It started when I got some turntables. I really wasn't the best at the turntables. Um, I really haven't pursued that in a while. Uh, I've, I've done hip-hop vocals, though, and I've, I've really that started when I started writing poetry, with my uh, sophomore English class, and it took off from there. I am still working on a, a new album that I started in sobriety or or recovery, whatever you want to call it. Some people get all finicky about the words, which I should be more precise because in any other situation, I'm very uh, aware of the words that I use, I guess is how I should say it. But having that creative ability to express myself vocally and having the equipment and, and the means necessary to do so ha has been fundamentally important to me because I, I feel that there's a lot of release in transmitting what you're thinking, what you're talking about. Um, there's a lot in just writing the thoughts down. For me personally, expressing things vocally has helped me a lot. I've always been a very internalized person and when I would externalize things vocally. I would usually get in trouble. I would piss people off. People wouldn't understand me. People would laugh at me. People would make fun of me. And I'm sure that people still aren't going to understand me. People are still going to laugh at me. People are going to make fun of me. But today I realize that when people do that, if they do it with a serious thing, because some people will joke with you, and that's completely different. Um, but when they, when they say those things seriously... It's usually because they're either frightened, they don't understand, or it's just expressing their own ignorance. It has literally nothing to do with me. Because if those people knew me, they knew what I went through, if they had a family member in that situation, they really wouldn't feel that way. And if they still did feel that way, it really is even more so about them. And I'll pray to my higher power, which I don't prefer to call God. I would think that it would be a goddess more so than anything. But I don't even necessarily know that it's uh, a gender-based situation. I used to think it was the universe. Now I think it might be something more expansive than that. Uh, I'm kind of digressing. Regardless, I'll pray for those people. Because here's the thing. We're all on this planet together. And I think that the reason that there is 
quote-unquote evil is more so because people have not been able to deal with their own trauma and their own issues, really. I don't think that we understand people's behavior as much as we think we do still. And I think that really when you categorize people as quote-unquote evil, you're really writing off their whole freaking life. And the reality is you don't know what made them do that unless they express what's inside of them and every experience that they've seen, which they might not even remember because the brain has the ability to block things out. So then that's a whole different tangent. But uh, I'm digressing again. I, I don't think that we really understand why people do what they do. For me, I use drugs and alcohol to either feel better about situations or to not feel situations. As far as psychedelics, I feel that I was using a lot of them to overcome some of the trauma and process this reality and find something more meaningful than this reality. Because the way that reality was sold to me, or the way that I purchased reality with my perception, was that it was flat, non-existent consumerism, um, greed, this, that, and the other. And I will say that those things do exist, but you get what you focus on is what I'm learning. And when you focus your, your, your perceptive lens on the other end of the spectrum, there's an abundance of beauty, um, creativity, freedom. There's this underlying current of just amazing experiences that get overlooked by the general public because they are so distracted and um, alcoholism, addiction, things that the media portrays, uh, following sports teams, as Terrence McKenna put it, quote-unquote, squirrely religions. I, and I, I'm not vilifying religion, but relig religion has been called the opiate of the masses for a reason. And it is a very addictive, dangerous concept when people don't understand the underlying spiritual principles, in my opinion. I don't think that there is one correct religion. I think that most religions have bits and pieces that are correct. And that was one thing that was difficult for me, was trying to find where I fit in spiritually, socially, emotionally, um, internally. Trying to find out who I am with this, with what I perceived as a culture trying to sell me who I am because I bought into that myself. I used to blame culture and society for everything when really it was my own body that perceived those things. And some people will say that, and I, I can't necessarily deny this mindset, but some people will say that that's intentionally and manufactured. I've, I've seen evidence supporting that, but I've never physically seen it, seen it. And I almost don't want to believe those things anymore because if intent is belief, maybe that'll take some power away from it. I won't deny that I do feel that things on television have the ability to shape people, but I think that that ability to shape them is more so molded by their own, by their upbringing, um, how they respond to situations in their upbringing. And since I was escaping and using drugs and alcohol and those things, I wonder if that actually made me fundamentally more malleable for this subconscious programming that's said to exist. And, and again, I will say that there's substantial evidence supporting those things. And historically, propaganda has existed for a very long time. 
it's it's just I'm at a position now where I can't really say it. I mean, I guess I can say in my own experiences, I don't really watch a lot of television. I, I have Hulu and Netflix. I really haven't watched much television since about 2008, um, 2009. When I, when I left... Uh, when I left uh, Las Vegas, I worked at that summer camp, didn't have a TV there. I moved back home to Ohio eventually after that. And my mom had a TV. I was really too busy working and drinking and drugging. I mean, I watched some TV. After that, I moved out to Northern California. Didn't have a TV out there for a couple years. I uh, eventually got one to play video games. I never got cable. Um, I would watch TV shows on my computer but it would be anime or things like that. And not to glorify anime and say it's better than some things, but there tends to be an underlying message of integrity, honor, if you watch the right ones. I, I watched a lot of Hunter x Hunter. Um, another anime I like is Bleach. And tying back into recovery, Bleach relates directly to my experiences in recovery in lots of ways. Um, if you've never seen Bleach, it's a great anime. It's on Hulu. But... One of the underlying story arcs that I don't want to give too much away about is there's a character who has this dark force inside of him, and the dark force is rallying for control of him um, a, a great deal of this show. And I, I can't give away too much of it, but this struggle represented me in my own life. And the resolution of, of this struggle really represents part of my life in general. And that's one thing that was hard for me in recovery when I first got into it. I remember when I tried to get, uh, when I w stopped drinking when I was in California. And my ex and I looked at each other and we said, you know, we don't fit in with drunk people. We don't fit in with sober people. We're just, we're just miserable. And that's really how I viewed um, sobriety. And, and even my first experience with 12-step programs when I was 16, I viewed all those people as a bunch of, pious Jesus junkies and I couldn't believe in the happiness they were having my arrogance thought it was like this false pretentious happiness and it was just positivity la 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 we don't have any bad days and what my experience with recovery is now is oh yeah there's going to be some bad days in recovery but the beautiful part about it is you don't have to, to run away from them or use or drink over them and when you can reach that point where you can just sit in your experiences, allow them to occur, accept that they are occurring, and have no expectations of anybody doing anything around you, but you trying, you, you're not even trying, you gaining control of your life and doing the things that you need to grow as a person, there is a high and a serenity and a peace that I, I've never got off drugs or alcohol really I mean maybe the first time I smoked weed it was like that but it was always and I don't want to use the opium term for weed but chasing the dragon basically where you're I know that that's where you're in like an opium reverie but it's trying to catch that eternal high that 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 first high that you really can never catch again and in in my recovery it started September 2nd of 2016, this year. And the first 30 days were fairly easy. Um, around then, I hit this wall where reality started creeping back in. And for me, the issue was I was maintaining too much positivity, running myself ragged, 
trying to be somebody that I wasn't. And I, I really wasn't merging the two hemispheres of my personality, which is one extremely nice person to the point of self-sacrificing and the other hemisphere of my personality, which is an extremely manipulative, um, uh, toxic, harsh person who thinks that everybody's against him, that the, the, the world hates him, he hates himself. So when I really merge those two, and I'm still in the process of merging them, I have days when the evil one wins, and I have days when the good one wins. It seems that the good one wins substantially more now. Um, and I forget the exact quote, but there was an author who was, had this, was talking about this Native American uh, Indian chief, and the Indian chief said that inside of him are two dogs, a good one and a bad one, and they represented his personality. And the gentleman asked him, which one wins? And he said, whichever one I feed more. Um, and that's really been my experience as well. My whole life I really fed the negative side of myself more. Um, that was all I really knew. Everybody around me really just focused on the negative element. Positivity is not as easy as people think it would. I assume that it gets easier as I re rewire my brain with neuroplasticity and get out of those old thinking habits. I can't say for certain. There's times where I have to fight like hell in my head to overcome the negative, to overcome what I perceive as the wrong thought about a situation. And it's not that I'm in control of my thoughts as they occur. I'm in control of my thoughts. And if I let them linger, if I let them become reactions, if I let them become vocalizations, that's what I struggle with. I don't, I don't struggle. If I have a thought, it's just something that occurs out, out of my realm of control. What I do with it, how long I hold on to it, and if I try to shift the perception of that thought and say, oh, that thought doesn't fit there, let me, let me switch it around. I don't try to judge my thoughts anymore. They are, are thoughts, and that's what they are. When they become reactions, and then I have to find solutions to the problems I created, that's where I have the issue. And I'm becoming better at it. I definitely have days where I don't do good, um, where I'm not as successful, I should say. And I have other days where I'm incredibly successful. There, there's definitely the highs and lows of life that I didn't think I would have. And I, I really am grateful for it because in my experience, I, I tend to channel the negative into the positive when before I would channel most things into negative. It could be great. And I'd be like, ah, it could be a beautiful sunny day. I'd be like, ah, it's too hot. It's too cloudy. It's too this. It's too that. I, I have all these nice things, but I want more. Today, I took my dog for a walk at 7.30 after being up. I woke up at 4, went to the gym, made breakfast, fed my dog, took her for a walk. And then on the way there, I was thinking about this one problem that I had with, with a, a friend who I don't know if she'll talk to me again. I, I mean... I didn't handle the situation appropriately. And as, as far as her part in the situation, it's not my place to say. Um, the universe or the, the fathomless unknown has a plan for my life. And it's not for me to determine what anybody else does but me. And as soon as I start focusing on other people is when my head starts spinning and I, I stop focusing on my recovery. So what I'm learning is 
I don't have I don't have the ability to judge to judge Tom, Dick, and Harry. I gotta focus on Ross. And when I'm focusing on what anybody else is doing but myself, that's when I start re- regressing. That's when the evil one starts winning. That's when all the progress that I've been making, I won't say I lose it, but I take a step back. But at the same time, I think that those step back steps back at times are fundamental in moving forward in lots of ways. Because without making mistakes, without having people call me on mistakes, I would continually do the same stuff repetitiously until I died. I've made new mistakes recently, and I'm grateful for those new mistakes because I, I've been told that that means that that is progress when you start making new mistakes instead of the same old ones. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, recovery, positivity, not easy things to do. Definitely possible. Definitely feasible. As uh, Brandon Beecham from the Positive Head Podcast would say, it takes a daily conscious effort. But it but you can do it. Um, and with that, I'd like to put this episode on the pyre. Say peace, people. If you have any interest of sharing your story of spirituality, of recovery, some of your philosophy, um, anything like that, please get a hold of me via Facebook, via SoundCloud, uh, via my WordPress blog, spiritualphoenix22.wordpress.com. Um, get at me on Twitter, Spiritual Phoenix, F-E-O-N-I-X, at Twitter.com. Shoot me a message. Let me know. We'll talk. We'll see if it will be mutually beneficial for us. Also, if you have any artwork that you would like to show about recovery, anything like that, let me know. This episode's on a pyre. Peace, people. Be blessed. Namaste.